Well, Apostle Paul was definitely right when in the first chapter of Colossians he said that teaching is one of the key ways that uh, can lead us into spiritual maturity in our life. And that's what we're really seeking to do through the uh, Brookside Institute is provide uh, just a just different type of a, of a teaching experience uh, with uh, uh, reliable teachers you can depend on and know what they're talking about and opportunity for you to be able to interact with them. So I encourage you to, uh, to consider that. And, um, you know, Brad was right. It was, uh, he was asking us all if we had a great weekend. And it was great until about 10 o'clock last night, right? Um, anyway, all right. So, hey, before I, before I dig into, into scripture, I, I just want to thank all of you for, uh, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, for your love and, and care for Becky and I throughout this whole year and um, in the last month uh, and even over last weekend. Um, I truly, uh, last week was probably in last week and maybe all of last month um, as we come upon a year since our son Greg died is Probably the second hardest time in my life. First hardest, of course, being um, September 3rd last year. So, but tell you what, you know, I don't know how we would have done this without you. Um, all your prayer, all your love, saying so many of the right things, and uh, thank you know for the cards and, but all, uh, above everything else, your prayer. It's just meant everything. Not. It's, it's always been a, a God deal for me how it is that I land on a certain sermon series at a particular point in the life of our church. It's a little hard to put into words how all of this works. I, I, I do have a, a, a certain set of guidelines that I use to direct me on, on what to preach, and they're, they're important, but I, the, the overriding guide with this, obviously, is the Holy Spirit uh, leading, and that, again, is hard to put into words, how that happens. It can be something as, as, as simple as what happened with this series that we're starting today in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where one day just popped into my mind. It's the thing to do. And once it got, that thought came into my mind, it, it didn't leave me. And one of the things that I've, I've learned in 36 years of ministry is if, I, if, if, if a thought comes into my mind, like what to preach, and, and, it, and, it, and then it goes away, it probably wasn't of God. It wasn't God's leading, but if it stays with me, if I just don't, you know, it just hangs in there, then I, more than likely this is what God wants me to do. And, and uh, I can tell you one of the fun things about this, and it's, I mean, really, uh, it just happens over and over again. Once we get into a series where we're doing it and preaching it, a few weeks into it, it's like, yep, 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 this was, this is the right thing to do right now. This is the right passage uh, to preach. And so I always, always have found myself listening to how the Holy Spirit prompts me to do something like this because he, God's right, you know, and it's good to listen to God and stuff like this. So I've, I, I want to tell you that I, I have total confidence in what we're doing here for the beginning today and for the next 12 Sundays after today. I'm convinced that it's, it's a God deal. It's, it's of God and it's, it's the right thing right time for us as a church. Now, when, when there, there have been a very few times, and it's kind of surprising in a way to me, that I've actually preached from the same set of, of, of you know, chapters out of the Bible or the same 
book, but the few times that I've done it, one, one of the things that I found that I, it was like, I, I didn't, actually didn't realize it was going to happen this way when I was in seminary, but man, you can have an old sermon that you preached, but you're never going to preach it the same way. Uh, and, and today's sermon is an example of this, because the last time, which was back in, the, um, back in 1992, last time I preached uh, from the Sermon on the Mount, I, 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 the passage that we're doing today, I did in three sermons, okay? One sermon today, last time I preached on this passage, uh, I, I did it with, um, in first six verses of Matthew chapter 5, I did it with three sermons. Now this time I'm, I'm doing it differently because I, I, it, it has just really struck me that there's something that is so important to emphasize that really all of us have got to have very clear in our minds before we get into the rest of this sermon. And it's this. In fact, it's so important. I, I had Lorenda type them into your bulletin this morning, three statements. And we're gonna, I'm just going to say them to you. We'll put them up on PowerPoint. And it's this. There's... There's no way any one of us can live how Jesus tells us to live in the sermon until we've received a new life. A new life that changes who we are from the inside out, how we, how, how we think about life, and, and what it is that becomes more important to us than anything else in a new life that gives us the power to live in a way we could never live in our own strength. So when Get this, everybody. When Jesus preached this sermon, he didn't do it with the expectation that those listening had what it took to live it. All right? He gave it knowing he came to this earth to make it possible for us to live it. And he gave it knowing what needed to be true for every one of us, before, for every person before they could receive what he came to give. Okay, so what needs to be true for you and what needs to be true for me before each one of us can receive what Jesus Christ came to this earth to give us. And that's what, that's what these first six verses are all about that we're going to look at this morning, uh, which is really the, the number one reason I'm so fired up about today and, and really the next 12 Sundays. You see, there's, there's nothing better than discovering the, the best way to live and how it's possible for us to live that way. I mean, it's just nothing, nothing better than that. I mean, nothing, nothing better. So I guarantee you, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm standing in front of you this morning, I'm going to guarantee you that you're going to see in this series, these, these 13 weeks, how God's Son in His infinite wisdom shows us how to succeed. And I'm not talking in some kind of a selfish kind of a way. I'm talking about succeeding in life in, in, in the best sense of that word, the spiritual sense, but, but applying to every aspect of our, of our life in, in, in the most critical defining areas of our life. Beginning with what we're going to talk about next Sunday, which I'm, it's like, I did some, I've been, I've just been, can I say it this way, working my tail off, okay, uh, to get ahead on sermons because of the way we're doing stuff here right now, of wanting to stay. So I actually did something yesterday that I have, I have never done before in 36 years of, of being a pastor. I always practice the sermons that I preach at least three times. So the last time I do it is Saturday morning. And, and all this last week, I didn't work on today's sermon. I had that done a couple of weeks ago. 
All this last week, I worked on the sermon I'm preaching next Sunday. So I, I did something just, it was really kind of weird, kind of like, wow, this is fun. I preached this sermon, and then I preached the sermon for next Sunday, yesterday morning. So I know what's coming next Sunday, all right? Uh, and and, 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 and it's, it's living our lives with a clearly defined purpose that takes us beyond living where we're comfortable to living where we're challenged. And I don't know about you, but I, I think it's really a good deal to get out of the comfort zone and live where we're challenged. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. And I can't wait. I wish I could do it today. And, and then also with this series, we're going to look at things like this where Christ speaks to the issue of anger and lust and integrity and what to do when we've been wronged and, and why we do what we do, what it is that motivates us. And, and we're going to talk about prayer and we're going to talk about money and we're going to talk about worry and we're going to talk about how to be a discerning person. I mean, would, would you agree with me that's pretty relevant stuff for us? I mean, I don't know how you get more relevant than that, okay? Friends, what we do with what we're going to see in the next 12 Sundays determines really the level of success, and I'm, again, I want to say that in, a, in the best sense of the word, the level of success in our lives. And this morning, we're going to see how Jesus made it possible. How he made it possible. Now, when I thought about today and I thought about the next 12 weeks, uh, one of the things I just really, really, really hope, I hope there are some of you here today who would say, if you and I could have a conversation, you'd say, Steve, this is all new stuff to me. I have, I have read very little, if any, of the Bible. Uh, I'm asking some really big questions right now about life and eternity. I mean, and, and you would say, man, I'm here because somebody invited me to come today. And, and, and I, wanna, I just want to thank you for, for making the decision to carve out time in what I'm, I'm guessing is true for you like it is for um, all of us. Very busy life. And I, I want you to know I'm honored. It is a privilege to have you here today. And I just hope, I hope that what I say today will be helpful for you so much so that you want to come back next Sunday and the next 12 weeks, okay? For all of us, everybody, I believe what we're going to do today and for the next 12 Sundays is so important, and that's why we've, we've started this new thing of providing this five-day study that you can do where each day you have a question to, to answer and to, you know, meditate and think about it to prepare you for, for next Sunday, all right? And, uh, I'm, and, and you know, I was having lunch with one of the guys in the church this week, and he told me the coolest thing of what he's going to do with his family. He's going to take those five questions, the questions we write for our life groups, and, and he's going he's gonna to do a study with his family and uh, uh, his two kids and his wife on Wednesday evenings. They're going to they're gonna think ahead for what we're preaching. And I'd say, man, that's a, that's a smart thing to do. And the other thing I'd say is if I, this is one of those times I'd like to talk every life group leader and life groups uh, everybody in the life groups to say, you know what, we're, we'll, we'll do a sermon-based study for these 13 weeks. I, I, think, I think you wouldn't regret it, okay? So, got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, and, and uh, we'll, we'll read these verses, and then we'll dig into them. Uh, verse, verse 1, Matthew 5. Now when he saw the crowds, Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. First of all, a bit of setting uh, for this sermon. Matthew tells us that Jesus began it when he, when he saw the crowds. And if we back up into the, into the fourth chapter, the verse uh, uh, 23, we... Uh, or fourth chapter, we discovered that it wasn't long into his ministry that he was drawing large crowds of people to him. And it's, you know what? It's, it's easy to see why when we read what Matthew wrote describing these crowds of people. Chapter 4, the, the chapter just before, verse 23, Matthew wrote this. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. You see, not only did Jesus give people hope by, by delivering them from their physical suffering, he gave them hope by preaching a message that, that is described as good news, the good news of the kingdom. He, he spoke into their spiritual lives. And so every day, people just started telling other people about Jesus, and, and the crowds kept growing and getting larger and larger. And I think, I think it's really significant that Matthew be, uh, begins this fifth chapter by telling us that it was when Jesus saw the crowds that he began to teach. And I don't, I don't think Matthew was saying, Jesus was looking out and going, oh wow, look at all the people here today. He wasn't saying that. Jesus was looking out and he was seeing the spiritual needs of these people. And that's, that's, why, that's why he taught. Okay? In the ninth chapter, Matthew, the same book, a uh, uh, similar scene. Matthew wrote this about Jesus seeing the crowds. Verse 35 is like almost identical. It said, Jesus went throughout, through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And, and, and then Matthew writes this. He said, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You see, Jesus had a shepherd's heart. He, he loved these people. And I want, I want you to know today, before anything else, Jesus loves you. He, does. He, he absolutely loves you. And that's why he went on to talk about what he talked about in this sermon. So Jesus, just to say it again, preaches this sermon knowing the spiritual need of those who were listening and the same is true for you, and the same is true for me. And so going back to the, what we got written in your bulletin, and the key truth, okay? There's no way any one of us can live how Jesus tells us to live in this sermon until we've received a new life. A new life that changes who we are from the inside out, how we think about life, and and, and what it is that becomes more important to us than anything else and a new life that, that gives us the power to live in a way that you and I could never live in our own strength, okay? Jesus, when he preached his sermon, didn't do it with the expectation that those listening had what it took to live it. He gave it knowing that he came here to this earth to make it possible for us to live it and he gave it knowing what needed to be true for every single one of us before we could receive what he came to this earth to give us. That's how he began this sermon. 
That's what he was talking about in the first four verses. That's what this sermon today is all about. Beginning with verse 3, which shows, shows the first thing. Our need to recognize our spiritual poverty before God. Look at how Jesus said this. Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's a strong word Jesus uses here for poor. In the language of the day, it's a, a word used to describe someone reduced to total destitution. It was used of someone who was not simply poor, but begging poor. They literally depended on others for their physical survival. And, and, and Jesus used this word to, to emphasize the full extent of our spiritual poverty before a holy God. Yeah. Compared to the perfect righteousness of of Almighty God, you and I, we're spiritually bankrupt. You see, we've got to see this. We've, we've got to see ourselves for who we are, that we, each one of us, we're, we're a spiritual beggar standing empty-handed before a holy God. In, in Luke chapter uh, 18, Jesus told a, a parable that I, I think illustrates this about as good as anything. Uh, and... Uh, it's a, it's a story about two men, and you probably heard it, two men who had a, a, a totally different picture of how they saw themselves. One was proud in spirit, proud in spirit. The other one, he was the very opposite of what Jesus said were to be, and the other one, he, he was poor in spirit. So look at this. That's one of my favorite little sections of scripture. Uh, Luke chapter 18 says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on, the, on everybody else. First of all, he tells us, who Jesus Christ was speaking to, okay? Uh, and, and, and then Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to a temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. Oh God, I, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or, or God, even like this tax collector over there. I, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up, up to heaven, but beat his breast. And, and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I love, I love the way Luke wrote this, really. I mean, a group of people standing around, they were so confident of their own righteousness. They were looking down on Everybody else, self-righteous, proud of how good they were, proud of what they'd done and not done, and, and who compared themselves to a whole lot of other people they saw as being way below them in, the, in righteousness. And so it's, it, it's kind of like this. In fact, I did it one way first service. I had one of the guys come up to me after first service, and uh, he said, you know what, Steve, i got an idea for you. might be a better way to do this. And man, he was so right. First service, I just drew one single line. And he said, no, really, it's more like a triangle. So, so uh, I'm going to draw a triangle here for you. All right. Can you all see that? All right. First service, they couldn't see the line. All right. Yeah, hey, here's our triangle. Y'all see that triangle? All right, so here's the deal. Here's, here's what's better than a single line. You know, what, what we got up here is at the top of it, we got people like this Pharisee. So I'll just do a nice big P for Pharisee. Okay? 
Boy, this, this kind of a guy, he looked at himself and boy, he saw him, I'm really good. I'm really good. And that's what he was telling God. God, I'm really good. Okay, and then at the bottom of this triangle, and I wish I could make it a little wider, it's kind of a hierarchical kind of a thing, okay? It's like very few people up here, just, the, you know, a special club. And, and then down here you got the tax, people like the tax collector. So I'll, I'll draw a T down here, okay? See the T? All right. Yeah. Now, I wish I could, you know, draw that bigger. But that's how they saw life. That's how they, you got this Pharisee. He's standing in the temple, and he, seems, he sees himself at the, at the top of the triangle, all right? Along with a few, very few other people. And then there's all these other people down here, like the, like, like the tax collector. They come to the temple to pray. The Pharisees, they were, the, they were like the, the religious leaders. They, they had a lot of influence, and, and, and most of them were respected. And, and you know what? It's prob they probably would have made safe neighbors to have because they were, they were very scrupulous in their honesty, and they followed God's commands fairly well, better than most people. And, and, and so probably, probably a safe neighbor, but I, I, I would say probably not a friendly neighbor. You know why? Because he... They would probably see themselves up here, and you'd probably be way down here with all the other neighbors or somewhere down here. So they'd kind of look down their nose at you. They'd probably snub you. They'd probably close the garage door and never talk to you, you know, that kind of, that, that, that kind of a neighbor. And, and, and then, then on the other side of it, you've got this tax collector. And, and, and man, this guy was just, nobody liked them. Because what they did was they had this connection. They collaborated with the Roman government. When the Roman government, you see, was ruling over Palestine at that time and collecting way more taxes than they really should collect. And what tax collectors did they made it even worse because they added their own take to the total so nobody nobody liked tax collectors so you got this no good money grubbing cheating Roman collaborator standing there you know not too far away perhaps from where the well I think he was probably standing at the back of the temple and this guy was standing at the front because he wanted everybody to see him and Tax collector stood up and said, God, look how, how really good I am. But the tax collector, he did very opposite. He didn't look up, he looked down. And he beat his chest and he cried out to God for mercy. Now, a huge difference how these guys saw each other. But you know what? Even bigger than the difference in how they saw each other is the end result of how they saw each other. Look, look at what Jesus said when he finished the story. Verse 14. He said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself like this Pharisee, and Jesus like, I'm not looking here, but that guy. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Um, key word here is the word justified. Justify. You know what that means? It's probably one of the most significant words in the Christian faith. It means that as far as God is concerned, we're no longer sinners. We're not a sinner anymore. God looks at us and he sees, he sees us as being holy, holy. And what Jesus Christ said in the Sermon on the Mount, how he began it, and, and what this, this parable does for us is that it, it helps us understand that we got to humble ourselves. We 
We cannot, we cannot go on comparing ourselves to other people and find other people worse than us. We've got to recognize our own terrible sinfulness before an absolutely perfect, holy God. Helmut Thielich and the waiting father put it this way, and I, I just think he said, says this really well. He said, when, when a person really turns to God with a burdened conscience, he or she doesn't think of other people at all. They're utterly alone with God. It would never have occurred to the tax collector to say, sure, this Pharisee is a man of a different stripe than me, but he too has plenty of blots on his life. He's a sinner. This would have been true, of course, but when a person is utterly alone with God and dealing solely with God, then many things that are true are completely immaterial to him. He has something else to think about. And, and that's why the tax collector's attitude is completely genuine and radically honest. And I love this next line. He measures himself upward. God himself is his standard. And measuring him by that standard, he is suddenly aware of how far removed he is. And see, you see, really, you know, you know what, you know what God does? You know what God does to this triangle? He just blows it apart. There's no reason for this triangle. What we all need to do is just put ourselves down here and just blow through the ceiling, really, because the holiness of God just is so perfect, so infinite. It's like, you know, you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Now, that points to the second thing that needs to be true for every one of us. See, we're not done yet. There's another thing that's got to be true of us before we can receive what Jesus Christ came to give us. You and I must mourn over our sinfulness. Jesus said it this way in verse 4. He said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. I had a, I had a fun thought about this as I, as I worked on this sermon. I never thought of this before. I think... In the story that Jesus told about the Pharisee and the tax collector in the temple, I think there could have been a third person in that temple. Someone who knows they're a sinner, they never deny it, but the truth is they don't really care. They enjoy their sin and they're not willing to give up. You see, it's one thing to say, yes, that's what I am. I'm a sinner. I'm spiritually bankrupt before God, but I don't care. <laughs> it's another thing to mourn to grieve over our sin. You see, here's the deal, everybody. If you're the third person in the temple and we get into the rest of the sermon, your response more than likely is going to be, there's no way I'm going to do that. I'd even say you're going to push back every week, every sermon. You're, you're, I think there's, there's even going to be times when you're going to get irritated, where you're going you're to want to like have a little conversation with me afterwards and say, I don't like what you're saying. It bugs me. You know? I, don't, I don't like this. This is ridiculous. It's unfair. It's unrealistic. I don't want to live that, that kind of a life. And, and, and if I did, who in the world could? So Steve, just take it away. Let's, let's stop this series right now. Let's, let's do something else. Oh. See, Jesus knew that some of the people who heard him, who knew this about some of the people who first heard him give this sermon, and, and what he knew to be true for them then, is every bit as possible for any one of us here today. So what's going to happen for us to 
want the life that Jesus describes in what we're going to be seeing in the next 12 weeks. You see, not only do we need to recognize our spiritual poverty before God, we've got to, we've got to grieve over the sin in our life. And, and so that's why Jesus said what he did in this fourth verse, where he said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, of the nine words used for sorrow in the Bible, one used here is the strongest. It, it represents the deepest, most heartfelt grief that a person could ever, ever have. It's, it's grief that wants to be done with sin, just absolutely done with it. See, everybody, don't miss the promise that Jesus gave with what he said about this need for genuine sorrow over our sin. It's the promise of comfort, comfort that comes with God's forgiveness. Look at that. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Uh, in Luke chapter 6, a parallel passage, Jesus said the same thing, only in, in even stronger, stronger terms. Okay? This is what he said. Verse 21. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. But then he said this in verse 25. Verse 25. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. I mean, that's a, that's a very sobering perspective. Jesus is saying that during our lifetime on this earth, we've got a choice to make, really. Weep now over our sin, and, and, and we're going to laugh for joy in eternity, but laugh now over our sin. Make life of it, light of it during our time here on this earth, and, and we're going to mourn, and we're going to weep forever. We're going to mourn for all of eternity. Don't miss that, everybody. I mean, that's big stuff. So the second thing needed is to mourn, to grieve over our sin. And, and once this is true of us, it's then that you and I have got to see that there is absolutely nothing that we can do to make ourselves right with God. We must, just like the tax collector, we must recognize our complete dependence on God's mercy. And Jesus said it this way in verse 5. He said, blessed are the meek, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. James echoed the word, uh, words of, of Jesus in the fourth chapter of his letter. James said it this way, chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. He said, grieve and mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. You see, right here, everybody, what you're doing in this is you're, you're, you're facing, you're dealing with what it really means to be spiritually bankrupt before God. You'd, you'd never come before God. You'd never come before God and, and say, well, God, no, no question about it. There's plenty of things that I've done that are wrong. Yeah, God, I, I know I've sinned, but God, God, listen to me. Listen to me, God. I've done a lot of good things too, you know? I mean, I've helped people. I've been a good husband. I've been a good wife. I've been good to my children. I've been a good neighbor. I mean, God, the bank's not totally empty. <laughs> There's some good stuff in the bank in my life. See, everybody, only Christians or people becoming Christians know they have no money in the bank spiritually. Zip, zero, Zilch, you know? You know that the only thing you could ever say to God, ever say to God is, God, 
I've got nothing in my life that deserves your blessing. I've got nothing in my life that deserves your forgiveness. God, I am 100% totally, totally dependent on your mercy. So, now it's one thing to recognize your sinfulness, our sinfulness, to mourn over it and, and want to be done with it, and to know that we're helpless except for God's mercy. All of those are very important. What I've talked about this morning are absolutely important, but you know what? We need to take it one more step to what Jesus speaks to in verse 6. We need to, we need to want God's righteousness. And so Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You read what Jesus said in this sermon, you hear the kind of life he described, and everything in you wants it. You, you know that you're far from it. You know that, that you don't have what it takes to live it. But boy, I tell you what, you want it in the worst way possible. You really want it. You see, I mean, i got to tell you, everybody, I'm going to say it again. I am fired up about this series because what it gives to us is a, this incredible picture of the righteousness that Jesus, yeah, that, that God, the way God wants us to live. I mean, it's about, it's a completed picture that you'll find anywhere on Scripture, focusing on what's most important to God. And, and you see, you read this, and if your heart is open to God, you want it. You find yourself doing what Jesus said in this sixth verse. You hunger for it and you thirst for it. I mean, I think Jesus nailed it with, with talking about hunger and thirst. I mean, man, we've all been there, right? I mean, and, you know, I mean, just it's, it's powerful words. You see, the righteousness of God, the absolute perfect righteousness of God, the life that God wants for us and and we want it, we, we hunger for it, we thirst for it. But you know what? We're incapable of living it. We're absolutely incapable of living it. I mean, how, how's that for a dilemma? Here we've got this life in front of us, but we don't have what it takes to live it. I mean, we've got a big problem. But you know what? This is where Jesus Christ steps in. This is where Jesus Christ came to this earth. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, who became one with us in our humanity, is the only one who ever perfectly lived the life that he describes in this sermon. He's the only one who lived a life of absolute perfect obedience to God. And, and, and then, living this life, he went to a cross and he took on himself God's judgment for your sin and my sin. And by doing this, he made it possible for us to receive his righteousness. Yeah. Which begs the question. Most important question you and I could ever ask and find the answer to. You know what that question is? How can you? How can I? How can each one of us receive the, the righteousness of Jesus Christ? You know, bless the Apostle Paul. You know, he answers this question so well for us. And in the third chapter of Philippians, where he described his own spiritual journey leading him to faith in Jesus Christ. And 
If you read that chapter, you see that he writes about all his own efforts, futile efforts to to earn God's forgiveness and to earn eternal life. And, and, And then he said this. He said, I consider them rubbish. Rubbish. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not not having a righteousness of my own, but that which is through faith in Christ. It's through faith in Christ. I mean, this is it, friend. This is it. And with everything in me, I encourage you to do this, to to recognize your spiritual poverty before God. See see yourself for who you are, a a spiritual beggar standing empty-handed before a holy God. And tell God you know this is true. Have a conversation with God. And mourn and grieve over your sin. Tell God you're tired of of calling the shots in your life, that you're truly sorry for your sin. Tell God that. Recognize your complete dependence on God's mercy through Jesus Christ. Tell God that you know that there isn't a single thing in your life where you deserve his blessing and his forgiveness. Tell God that you come to him with nothing in your hand and that you're completely dependent on his mercy. And then with everything in you, want the righteousness of God. Trust trust in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Don't trust in yourself. Trust in him. Trust in his death alone for your sin and for God's forgiveness. Rob's going to come and sing a song for us. And and then I'm going to come back and lead us in a prayer. But just listen very carefully to the words of this song. They... They really echo what this message is is all about today, okay?